0: Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture,
1: in today's program, you want to discuss an issue related to gender. That's right, Scott. Gender issues are a very controversial subject in the world today. However, from a biblical perspective, the issue of whether God created and human beings are born as a male or female shouldn't have any controversy surrounding it. The Genesis account of creation that reveals what God did on the 6th day of creation is recorded in clear terms. Scott, read Genesis 1:27. And God created man in his own
0: image, in the image of God he created him; male and female he created
1: them. In verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply." It's clear. God created man, that is the generic term for human beings. The Hebrew word is adam, male and female. And those terms in Hebrew are the specific words indicating the two genders. And another thing to note in the verse that you read, you know,
0: it's a biological fact that for humans and for virtually all species of animals, it
1: takes a male and a female to reproduce. It's amazing that that's even a discussion these days, <laughs> isn't it? And of course, that is exactly what God told them to do, be fruitful and multiply. But Scott, although some people deny their gender identified from birth, and it has become a widely discussed and debated issue... Determining a person's gender identity is not a subject I want to talk about. Oh, so what issue related to gender are you going to talk about? Well, I want to do a Bible study on how the human nature is passed on from parents to their offspring. Okay, but... How is that a gender
0: issue? Like we just pointed out, reproduction requires a male and a female. (laughs) True.
1: There's no reasonable debate about that. But unlike all the other creatures God created, humans have a unique makeup. Humans are not just material beings. They are immaterial as well. You're talking about man having a body and a soul. Yes. And to be more specific, a body and a spirit— the combination of which produces the soul. The body which is made of the very same substances that plants and animals are made of is the material or natural part. The spirit is the immaterial. I would say it is a supernatural part and it is from those two components that human nature is derived. So then it
0: sounds like you're saying humans are just a two-part being.
1: At its most fundamental level, yes. That is what I'm saying. So what about the verse that speaks of a person's body, soul, and spirit? That's a good question. Let's think about it a moment. The verse you're referring to is 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, the word soul occurs frequently in the Bible. In Greek, it occurs about a hundred times. Soul is the translation of the word we get psyche from. The Greek word is psuche. But what is interesting about that word is, depending on the context, it is translated soul, life, mind, or heart, even though those each also have a distinct Greek word. And in the Old Testament, the English word soul occurs almost 250 times. It is used to translate the Hebrew word nephesh. However, nephesh occurs in the Hebrew Bible almost 700 times. Wow. So, nephesh is translated soul less than half the time in the Old Testament. That's right. Now, the first time nephesh occurs in the Bible is in Genesis 1:20. And then again in verses 21 and 24. Now Scott, would those verses be talking about man? No, man isn't mentioned until the sixth day of creation,
0: which starts at verse 26. Mm -hmm. So what is nefesh referring to in those
1: earlier verses? Animals, (laughs) the birds and the fishes that God created on day five. Hmm. So you see, that term nefesh is not even unique to humans. Listen to some of the different ways nefesh is translated in the Old Testament. Soul, life, person, man, creature, living, living creature, heart, and mind. Now, soul is used far more than any other term, but the point I'm making is nefesh has a breadth of meaning. And the context will dictate just what aspect of the life form is being described. But what all the descriptions have in common is they describe life, that is, something alive. So what I'm proposing is, the soul is not a distinct thing, something that is distinguishable from the body and from the spirit. The life in a person, the soul, is the product of the combination of the body and spirit. Two things that definitely are distinguishable from one another. Now, Several verses in the Bible support this. James 2.26 says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. For a human body, the body is dead when the spirit leaves it. Another text, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is describing the ravages of aging in chapter 12, verse 6, saying, Remember him before the silver cord is broken, and the golden bowl is crushed. The pitcher by the well is shattered, and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. And then he goes on to describe death in verse 7, saying, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Now this parallels what Genesis says when God created Adam. Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground. There's the body, the material part, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. There's the spiritual part, the immaterial or supernatural part. And man became a living being. That is, Adam became a living nefesh. (laughs) Hmm. A living being is how the New American Standard Bible, the NIV, and the New King James translate nefesh there in Genesis 2-7. Now, just to name a few of the translations that do that. But the ESV translates it living creature. And the familiar King James Version translation says living soul. But however nefesh is translated, what we see happening there in Genesis is God combined a body and a spirit, and the man became alive. Man was created as a two-part being. And I submit, if we keep that fundamental makeup of mankind in mind, it avoids several areas of confusion when discussing things like the sin nature and the procreation of human beings, and even the virgin birth of Christ. Dr. Scripture, I think what you're proposing is actually related to a doctrinal
0: debate concerning the nature of man. Mm-hmm. One school of thought claims man is a
1: tripart being. The other, the one you adhere to, says man is a two part being. Exactly, Scott. And I'm spending the time on making the point that humans are fundamentally two part beings to simplify our consideration of the question how is the human nature passed on from parents to offspring? which has a gender issue related to it <laughs> and which i now perceive we will not fully cover in our program today. Oh boy. <laughs> and that being the case, i'll add one more observation related to the two part versus tripart makeup of man. My studies of this subject have found that though not entirely, the single major basis for claiming man is a tripart being is that one verse we read earlier, 1 Thessalonians 5:23, which in part says, quote, may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, unquote. But if based on that verse, one concludes we are three-part beings, what about many other references which also identify our mind and our heart as parts of our makeup? Scott, read what David says in Psalm 26, 2. Okay. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. And listen to Jesus quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 in Matthew 22, 37 and 38. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And one more example. Read Hebrews ten sixteen, where the writer is quoting Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days,
0: says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart and upon their mind.
1: I will write them. So my question, given these descriptions of the human makeup is, why isn't a five-part man proposed (laughs) being made of body, soul, heart, mind, and spirit? We make distinctions between all those facets of the whole person, right? So the point I'm making is, at the most fundamental level, based on the revelation of how God created man, we should understand that the human nature is made up of two parts, a material body and an immaterial spirit. And the mind, the heart, the soul are all products, for lack of a better term, of the mysterious union of body and spirit God performed back when he created Adam, man, The human
0: line. Well, that does make sense, Dr. Scripture, and more importantly, it seems to align with what Scripture says, but I have to admit, I'm curious about how this relates to the issue of gender and how the human nature is passed from the parents to the children. But like you said, we're not going to have time to cover (laughs) that whole issue in the time remaining for today's program. Well, it's a big issue. (laughs) Yeah, but we do still have a couple of minutes. So is there something you can touch on at this point to maybe pique our
1: interest in the next program? Certainly, Scott. (laughs) Let me give an explanation of how the issue of gender relates to how the human nature is passed from parents to their offspring. And I'll do so by asking a question. If Jesus did not have a human father, but he was fully human, which the Bible consistently makes clear. What was the source of his human nature? Hmm. It didn't come from Joseph. Did it only come from Mary? Well, his body definitely came from Mary,
0: but she was a sinner like all human beings. Mm -hmm. So apparently her sinful nature didn't get passed on to Jesus because he was perfect without sin. Amen. Does that
1: mean part of what produces the human nature did not come from Mary? And that's the question that relates to gender. Is it possible... there are differences between what the mother, the female parent, and the father, the male parent, contribute to the procreation of a child? And the answer is yes. However, how that manifests itself in the normal birth of children and the unique, very unnormal birth of Jesus is not agreed upon by theologians. Have you ever heard of the term traducianism? It vaguely sounds familiar, but
0: please do not ask me what it is. (laughs) Okay. Well, how about this
1: term, creationism? Now that I do know. Do you want me to explain what creationism is? (laughs) No, that's not necessary. But I'll ask you another question. Would you say I am a creationist? Uh, uh, the answer is so
0: obvious that I sense this is a trick question, but I'll go along with it. Yes, you are a
1: creationist. Wrong, my friend! <laughs> uh, I knew you were going to do something like that, but how can that be? <laughs> well, these two labels, creationism and tradutionism, describe the two major theories concerning how the human nature is passed from parents to their children. And I hold to the tradition theory. But to find out just what these two different theories propose, you'll have to listen next time. So to conclude today, I'll quote the words of Elihu in Job 32, 8. But it is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives them understanding. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.